When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The night may be long and the dark may be deep, but the answers are there to be found. Whether it's the normal, the abnormal, or the paranormal, you're in the right place. Let's go beyond reality. It's Tuesday in the East, Monday in the West, and some of you are stuck somewhere in between. Welcome to Beyond Reality Radio with me, Jason Hawes, and the always awesome J.V. Johnson. That didn't sound like it flowed out as as smoothly as it used to. Well, you haven't said that in a while, have you? You had to rub that in, didn't you? You haven't I, I, said that in a long time. I haven't, and it's so weird because it's been four and a half, five months that, uh, that I have not been here, man. It's been a long time. It really has. Now, you've been up to... I was going to say no good, but you really you've been up to a lot of good. You've been um, you know working pretty hard on this new series. Well, and I'm always up to no good. Well, there's always that. <laughs> um, but yeah, you, I mean the new series Ghost Nation. That's uh, October debut, right? Oh man, it is phenomenal. Honestly, it's uh, it's such a blast because uh, the folks over at Travel Channel have been just incredible to deal with, to work with, and there. I, I mean, if because we I did Ghost Hunters for so long, and it was always such a yeah, dealing with the network and and always and them trying to have their hands in it. Travel Channel has just been like, hey, you guys know what you're doing. Just do what you're doing. Do do it how you do it, and just bring it to us. And uh, you know, we ended up hiring in Ping Pong Productions, which is the same company that does Josh Gates's uh, Expedition Unknown, right? And Brad over there, and and them. They're just phenomenal people. But the people at Travel Channel are just incredible. They really are, and it's been such. Uh, such a fun experience it really has well it seems refreshing uh you know you and i were talking before the broadcast and been talking over the last few months and it's nice to actually uh, have a partner that you're working with and as far as a network goes that you feel is actually a partner and not just you know uh, someone who's whatever well exactly and and our relationship is a direct a direct partnership with the network it's not where where a lot of times people are hired in by a production company or they're working for a production company and we're not and i think that that also sets the whole thing aside uh myself steve i mean we're executive producers on the show we're owners of the show and like i said it's been a blast just getting back to basics and doing what we always love to do i mean we're investigating homes we're helping out people who need help whether it's uh families who are, are terrified of their homes or children or or whatever but and that's what it was all about it was never about all these big locations so uh i mean we're excited in october 11th 9 p.m eastern it is when our uh, series premieres to shows I, i'm i'm excited man i really am yeah you should be it's going to be a lot of fun and i just feel so, so out of my element right now <laughs> Just so everybody knows, too, uh, later in the program for the last segment, probably uh, about one forty or so a.m. in the East Coast, uh, we are going to uh, take phone calls if you want to call. And we'll talk about Ghost Nation in a little bit more of detail. And if you have questions or you want to make comments, that would be the time to do that for that particular discussion because um, we'd love to hear what people think. Yeah, and uh, then I even got a chance to go hang out on that uh, that doll island out in Mexico, Jim. 
Yeah, you know, you te- I texted you something and you responded, uh, I'll get back to you, I'm in Mexico. I'm like, what? I couldn't talk. I was having a hard enough time understanding what people were saying out there, <laughs> you know, so, but it was great. It was great to actually get out there and see that place. I mean, for everything that I've heard about it through through so many years, um, you know, it was an interesting location and you can't imagine how small it really is. Was that an episode for the show or was that something, something no, different? No, that uh, was a top secret yeah, thing, but, uh, yeah, but I mean, just getting out there and checking out the place, it, it was, uh, it was just a phenomenal experience. Uh, before we get too much further here, I just want to let people know we've got, uh, Robert Young joining us in a little bit. He'll be our guest tonight. He's an author and an adventurer. He'll be talking about the cloud warriors of Peru, poisons from the jungle and his own personal paranormal experiences. And, uh, we'll bring him in in just a little while. By the way, tomorrow night, I don't know if you, if you happen to see this for tomorrow night, Jay, uh, Chris Newby will be here to talk about, uh, shedding new light on the genesis of Lyme disease and its Cold War origins. Uh, and there's a lot of controversy on that one because a lot of people believe that it started uh, right over here near me, That's near right. Lyme, Connecticut, and uh, that there was a plant. Well, we do know that there was some sort of a plant that they were doing testing on on Block Island and different areas like that. So it'll be interesting to find out what uh, what they have to say. Yeah, I'm excited about that discussion, too. We've talked about it. We actually had a guest on that was talking about having some uh, ancillary knowledge about the weaponization of, of the virus that causes Lyme, or the bacteria that causes Lyme disease. And uh, so we said, we got to find somebody that can come on and talk about this. And Chris Newby is a science writer, and she answered the call. So we're looking forward to doing that. And I see Wednesday, you're going right up my alley again. We're going to be talking with Douglas Sirignano, uh author of American Conspiracies and Cover-Ups. And we're going to be covering conspiracies and... Uh, Pretty much transforming U.S. politics for the the last century and a lot of interesting things. So one thing we need to mention before it gets too late here is that obviously there's a very, very dangerous situation. It's already hit the Bahamas and it's brewing and uh, heading toward Florida at this point. And of course, we're talking about Hurricane Dorian, five people dead at this point in the Bahamas. Uh, I mean, this is a, a monumental storm, Category 5, Category 4 right now, I believe. And they expect it to hit the Florida coast sometime Tuesday. Um, they're not exactly sure where it's going to be, but they've uh, said they are looking to evacuate uh, as much as 105 miles of the Florida coast line. And they're saying if you are in this evacuation area, you really need to heed these warnings and get the heck out of there. Well, and uh, you know, I had taken the family on a Satori, graduated, and the one thing she wanted to do was go to the Bahamas. So we went down as a family vacay, and I've been seeing videos of where we went, and it's it's just decimated. It's yeah. destroyed. Well, and, the, and, and, geez, I just I can't imagine. Yeah, the storm just parked itself there, and it's yeah, still, it sat there. still very slow moving, so it just continued to pummel. Um, the residents and the and the islands and um, and that's the worst kind of storm. You know, the wind speed is dangerous enough, but when you have it just sitting there for a, you know a day and a half, uh, it just it just compounds the damage. Well, they were saying they had twenty uh, twenty three foot uh, uh, surges, and that's just mind mind boggling. I don't know. It is. Um, they say about as many as thirteen thousand homes in the Bahamas have been destroyed or severely damaged. Uh, this is a very, very dangerous storm. There are nine counties in Florida that have mandatory evacuations. Uh, one of them is uh, in the Jacksonville area, also Palm Beach County. And the governor of Florida, Ron DeSantis, has urged coastal residents to heed these evacuations. And he says the orders, and he says, "Get out now." 
while there's time and there's still fuel available. Because if you decide that, you know, tomorrow, an hour before the storm hits, you're going to try to get out of there, uh, you may not be able to get any gas. It, you know, the stores will be all closed and there won't be anything available for you and you're stuck. Well, let alone trying to get out at the last moment, you're going to be stuck in just traffic stop too, and go yeah. traffic. Yeah. And you and I have been down that way many times and it gets bad, let alone when everybody's trying to get out of there at once. So the least thing you want to do is be stuck in a car on a highway. And in about an hour and a half, hour and 45 minutes, Orlando International Airport will be closing because of the storm. Walt Disney World in uh, Orlando will close early on Tuesday, it said in a statement. People are taking this very, very seriously. Thoughts, prayers to everyone in the storm's path. Please do the right thing. Be safe. Get out if, you, if you've been told to. Yeah, you are definitely in our prayers. And uh, yeah, just, uh, you know, best of luck to you all. So what have you been doing while I've been <laughs> while I've been gone? Um, you know, I I just I've just been kind of staying the course here, you know, talking to a lot of interesting people on on the radio, uh riding my motorcycle around uh, when I can you, do you that. Have you've been riding? Yeah, I've been riding quite a bit. I actually put uh, several thousand miles on the bike this summer and I bought it at, um when was that? End of June. So I haven't, you know, I didn't even have it the whole summer. So been been having a lot of fun with that actually. Oh, that's nice. And yeah. I do I do got to say thank you so much for holding down the fort while I've been on the road doing the stuff. And, uh, you know, I couldn't think of anybody better to uh, to do that. Well, thanks. It's been fun. We've had a lot of fun here. So yeah, just waiting yes, for you to have. come back. Yep. All right. So on that note, you want to take a quick break and get our guest on the line? Yeah, let's do that. All right. You'll listen to Jason and JV Beyond Reality Radio. We'll be back after this. Look out, Rochester. Scaricon is coming for you. The Northeast's leading fan convention for all things pop culture is celebrating its ninth year at the Rochester Riverside Hotel, October 18th through the 20th. Scaricon brings an amazing group of celebrities, panel discussions, film screenings, great vendors, and amazing parties. It's a weekend of fun from start to finish, and it's family friendly. For more information, visit Scaricon.com and check us out on Facebook. Use the promo code BRR at checkout to save 20% on your admission. That's Scaricon.com, October 18th through the 20th in Rochester, New York. We're going to be talking about adventuring. We're going to be talking about the Cloud Warriors of Peru, Poisons from the Jungle, and personal paranormal experiences with our guest, author and adventurer, Rob Young. Rob, welcome to Beyond Reality Radio. Great to have you here tonight. Hey, well, thank you. Thank you for having me on. So tell us a little bit about yourself. I see that uh, you are many, many things, but you consider yourself among, uh, the, probably the top of the list, a storyteller. Uh, yeah. Actually, that's the being a storyteller is what got me started uh, writing novels. Um, I uh, started this process actually with a Christmas present to my two oldest grandkids who are now in their 20s. But I gave them when they were, I don't know, third, fourth grade, I gave them Thursdays with Grandpa. And I'd pick them up after school and take them to an ice cream place and ruin their dinner and then <laughs> tell them, uh, tell them stories. We started a whole series of story, pirate stories. And of course, I was the primary character, but I wove them into it, and they became characters, and this went on for an entire school year. And uh, we had a ball doing it. They they started bringing their friends. It got expensive after a while, because I was buying a lot of ice cream. But uh, the uh, few years later, when they were probably in their early teens, they said, Grandpa, did you ever write those down? And I didn't. And uh, so that got me thinking that maybe I had to start writing stories. And, that, uh, and that's that's how it all started. So to start with pirate stories, was there something that inspired you in that direction? Or was that just what you thought might appeal to a couple young boys? No, it actually, uh, it, it, I spent a lot of time in the Caribbean. 
in the in the late 1900s and early 2000s, and uh, became because I love history, became quite a student of pirate lore, and so I had a fair amount of of, of uh, historical data or or uh, at least uh, what what passed for historical data. And so I could build off of that and make up my stories as I went along based upon that experience. And, and then my imagination, and then it sort of took on a life of its own. So, so, telling so that's, that's my storytelling, uh, you know, start of being a storyteller anyway. Right, so telling stories is one thing. Putting them down on paper and having them published is a completely different thing and uh, takes a lot more commitment to the craft. When did you start doing that? Um, about oh, 12, 13, 14 years ago, um, and it, it was quite a, quite a lesson, an object lesson. I was a newspaper writer um, for about seven years, and then I went to law school because I figured I didn't have any talent as a newspaper writer. <laughs> so then I practiced law for a long time, and you do a lot of writing as a lawyer. So when I started writing these down, I thought, well, this can't be that hard. I mean, I was a newspaper writer for quite a while, and I did all this legal writing and all this sort of stuff. and. So I wrote the first novel, or I didn't quite finish all of it, because I realized along the way I had no idea what I was doing. And uh, and I stuffed it in a drawer, hoping that it would never come to light, and no one would ever be able to uh, associate it with me, or I wouldn't ruin the literary world in general by having it read. And then I... Uh, later on, I wrote a second one, and I didn't have that one published because I didn't think it was any good. And I started really taking the craft seriously probably about uh, six to eight years ago. I started taking a lot of classes and, and going to a lot of uh, seminars and listening to a lot of webinars. And uh, Cloud Warriors is actually the third novel that I wrote, and it was the first one that I thought was in my own mind, was, was good enough for public consumption. Well, and I can say, so, as, a, as a guy who's written books as well, I, I've had six books published, you never feel like what you're writing down is going to be that interesting for those reading it. And it, so it's always one of those things that you, is a big concern as, as an author. And until it gets out there and, and people really start enjoying it, and then you're sort of mind-blown with the whole experience. <laughs> That's true. Um, you know, people people say generally, um, "Wow, you really can write." You know, this, you're you're a real writer. You know, and I and that that's very flattering because truthfully, um, I didn't write Cloud Warriors uh, or any you know, the following novel that's out or the ones that I'm in the process of writing now with the idea that that it was going to be a bestseller or that I was going to be rich and famous. I was just like like to tell stories and this is a different way of doing it and it's obviously a lot more intricate than than telling them orally we have about a minute here before we have to jump to our first break uh you have two books out at this point cloud warriors is one of them we're going to be talking about that one and the inspiration for that and the other is the reaper is that correct that's correct and uh, uh, which one came out first cloud warriors cloud warriors came out first yes did you write the reaper prior to cloud warriors is did you write it afterward Actually, I wrote it prior to Cloud Warriors, but then I rewrote it completely while I was waiting for Cloud Warriors to sort of work its way through the publishing process. 
And, you know, in addition to, and you probably don't have enough time to answer this completely, but we'll pick it up on the other side of the break. Um, you are also a bit of an adventurer. You've been all over the world. <laughs> yeah, I've been lucky in that respect. I, I, uh, I always quote uh, Count Rostov from A Gentleman in Moscow, a, a very good bestseller from a year ago. That's, uh, he said, uh, the, the world has been good to me in its variety. And I've had a chance to sample a lot of it over the years, and and I've found amazing stories and adventures, and um, mostly that's where I find the underpinning of my books is from some something I've learned in my travels. Our guest tonight, Rob Young, is an author and an adventurer. His website is Rob Young. That's Young J U N G. RobYoungWriter.com, and his books are Cloud Warriors and The Reaper. And, Rob, one of the things that's pretty interesting here is that um, a lot of the basis for, uh, you know, what you've gone on to do um, has some roots in what would be considered to be some paranormal experiences. Well, tell us about your paranormal experiences. Um, <laughs> well, we, uh, I will, it started, actually, uh, unexpectedly, and, and, uh, with some skepticism. Um, in the house that my wife and I lived in uh, uh, some time ago, uh, she used to travel a great deal, and that's how I got came to travel. She traveled for work. I tagged along and, and uh, got to uh, play while she worked. Um, but she brought back from one of her trips to, from uh, to Af- East Africa a series of paintings. And uh, one of the paintings... Uh, we had them up on a wall in our house in Minnesota, and one of the paintings um, would make very strange sounds. Uh, and we joked about it uh, it being haunted. It being uh, the painting was of a a, a native African um, uh, man, uh, and uh, very interesting. But it made these sort of crackling noises whenever we would you know, be in the room with it. So we talked about that. And then uh, from that, uh, it was another time when, when much to my amazement, I was sitting at a counter in our kitchen and a glass half full with water sort of drifted across the counter on its own and tipped over and spilled. I was completely sober. (laughs) So, (laughs) so, So that wasn't the issue, but that one surprised me. Um, and then also once in that same house, um, my dad, who had died of cancer a couple, three years before, um, suddenly appeared in an apparition to me um, and said, uh, I'm leaving. Like he'd been hanging around out there in the netherworld for quite some time, a few years anyway. Uh, but this was, he was announcing that this was it, I guess. Um, and all those things sound really strange when I say them, but they all happened. Uh, and then interestingly, when we moved um, from that house into another house, our haunted we took our haunted painting with us, but the ghost wasn't there anymore. The crackling sounds didn't happen, and, uh, and so that went away. So I have to assume that there was something in the house that we lived in that that uh, was amenable to some sort of paranormal activity. Uh, nothing spooky or, or uh, you know, 
any great in volume, but but there were things that did happen. Well, and it almost um, sounds it almost sounds like you're saying that something from the house was actually fueling this, giving it and giving these things the ability to happen. Is that what you're saying? It, it, well, I mean, in hindsight, because nothing like that happened after we moved in either of the other two houses we've lived in since then. I have that. I think that's a fair uh, a fair assumption. Now, was that was that something how- in that location? Was that house near any large area of water or near high limestone deposits or anything of that nature? Uh, no. The only uh, the only water it was next to was a swimming pool in the backyard. Oh, okay. And so, so there wasn't anything that you would attach that to, but it uh, it nevertheless had its had its uh, had its unexplainable quirks. Let's put it that way. Unexplainable by. Uh, you know, sort of standard reasoning in science. Well, and I like how you said your father actually came came to you and said that he it was his time he w- he was going to move on. And so there was direct yeah. communication, as if you know, there was some intelligence there. Yeah, um, and it was brief, um, but and you know it wasn't audible, but I saw the apparition, if you will, clearly my dad and and sensed or heard internally anyway his his words were you awake was, at the rob were you awake at the time or was were you uh, was it near uh, falling asleep or waking up or at what point in the day was it did that occur it it was in the evening i had just gone to bed i was not yet asleep and suddenly i sensed something at the end of the bed and i looked up and there it was there he was did that comfort you you know, I don't know that it comforted me. Um, it certainly caught me off guard, and it made me a little surprised. Um, and uh, but it didn't it it didn't comfort me, nor did it disturb me. And it, I, it's I, one of those things that give you mixed emotions. Like I, I can sit yeah. there and say that I was I was sitting in my studio one day, and my father had passed away in November. And uh, you know, sitting in my studio, my door is actually a piston door, so it closes itself. And for whatever reason, that door opened inward, which seems impossible. Has to, to go do. against the piston. Ex- to do exactly, that. and it was it was you know a few months after my father had passed away. But it was even with with that happening initially, I didn't think my dad. But then all of a sudden, I got a feeling like I always felt around my father. So, and it was one of those things where he wasn't really comforting or any closure, but it was just you know it was. It was a feeling that he was there, and and that meant the world to me. Yeah, I understand. There's there's another. I mean, um, I'll, I'll relate another event that had nothing to do with that house, um, but it was it was also you know my wife watched it, and and one of uh, our neighbors did. But a couple of summers ago, my dad died, and and my mom. Um, remarried um they were married my mom and dad were married for 51 years and my dad died from prostate cancer and my mom remarried and she was uh remarried to or married to my stepdad for 17 years great guy and uh, then he passed away and then eventually my mom was about 10 days before her 98th birthday passed away and that was two or three years ago well 
were standing out in a front yard, and suddenly these two butterflies, and I can only describe it as a dance. In fact, I wrote about it in a blog. But these two butterflies did this miraculous dance. They were monarch butterflies, and the two of them would come apart or go apart and then come back together. And, and this went on for 20 minutes, maybe. Um, and I just had the sense, um, you, you know, people say I'm crazy, but I had the sense it was my mom and dad um, basically reuniting in that kind of a uh, setting, in that kind of a form. They were both um, great naturalists. And uh, my mother was a great lover of butterflies, and it just seemed like it wasn't it wasn't an apparition of you know my dad, but it was a sense that there was a whole lot more going on there than just two butterflies. We're going to take yeah we're going to th- we're going to take a break just in a couple of minutes, but I want to ask you one more question about this painting that made noise. You said it made a crackling sure. noise. Did it, did it was like the like the fabric of the painting crackling, or was it uh, did it sound like a metallic crackling? I mean, can you give us a little more description of what you heard? It was it was I would say take take your two thumbnails and put them together mm-hmm. and make that. You know, and then push so one hard against the other. Kind of a ticking, snapping. clicking, ticking, clicking yeah, sound. Kind of, yeah, kind of that clicking sound. It was neither metallic nor, you know, or crackling paint or anything like that. It just, it was kind did, of like that clicking sound. Did, they, did, was, the, did the painting have any kind of history that you're aware of? I do not know. My my wife bought it from a street artist mm-hmm. in, uh, I think it was in Nairobi. Um. And that's all I know about it. Well, well, um, I, I mean, I've asked her about it, but she, she bought all three of them at the same time. She liked this is what I think they're watercolors, mm-hmm. but it's just the one that did that. And it was, it was the only one with a male character in it. Um, and he was dressed quite oddly for an African native in fur. And, uh, it was, it's, it's just a, we still have it hanging in our house. And just not um, making any noise anymore. But it, but it doesn't <laughs> crackle at us anymore. Probably more important than those experiences for you when it came to writing your books was your adventures around the globe, and particularly Peru. Let's talk about Peru a little bit. Okay. Um, I've been to Peru multiple times, at five or six, um, and primarily because my wife uh, worked uh, in Peru for eight years and used to go two or three times a year. And every once in a while I'd tag along with her. And in the process of doing that, I became very, uh, intrigued by the Incan culture, uh, particularly by their agricultural and architectural capabilities and also their knowledge and understanding of astronomy, which was awesome. Um, it, uh, considering where it was in history, um, it was remarkable and it was through that those travels in in peru and visiting incan uh, ruins if you will uh, sites that i uh, i became aware of a rather odd historical anomaly that that part of the incan empire uh, were a, a a confederation of small tribes that lived 
at the very top of the Andes Mountains in the clouds, um, the Incans, the Incan civilization, uh, called them the Chachapoyas, which when you translate, that's a Quechua word when translated to English, either is cloud people or cloud warriors. That's the name of the book. Um, but the fact that you've got, that made them unusual was that they were light-skinned, fair-haired, and blue-eyed, which isn't what you'd expect in that part of the world. You know, it doesn't fit with the rest of the indigenous uh, population. And so it was from that piece of knowledge that uh, the uh, the kernel of the story, Cloud Warriors, uh, arose. Well, so blonde hair and blue eyed in that area, of course, that's that's extremely rare. So were they not originally from that area? Well, <laughs> that's an interesting question. Um, you know, the, the Vikings raped and pillaged everywhere in the world, so who knows what happened. But they were, as far as we know, they were originally, uh, they had, they have no written history. The only history we have of them is based on the ruins of where they lived in the, in the Andes Mountains and what uh, has sort of trickled down through, through the knowledge of the, uh, the Incans. Incans conquered that confederation about a hundred years before Pizarro, um, came and, and uh, laid waste to the Incan Empire. Um, so it, it was, in historical terms, it was a very, fairly short period of time, but but there's no record of them coming from any place else. How they got there, I don't know. I should say that in my research, um, I found two other similar anomalies. Uh, one is a tribe called the Namadi that lives in the Sahara Desert, Um east of Morocco, um, and again, a very small group of people, but they are also fair-skinned and, and you know, light-haired and blue-eyed. And then there's another group, and there's a man, there's names, it escapes me right now, but they live in Afghanistan. And so it, it, it's not a, it's not the, a single isolated instance but I didn't learn about them until long, you know, in my research relative to the Chachapoyas. So there are a few pockets around the world of what would be considered anomalous people that don't have the same um, physical characteristics as the indigenous population around them. Um, and do any of these three in your research have any uh, more detailed history that we can draw some inferences from, or, or are they all equally mysterious? They're all equally mysterious. Now, I will have to say that I didn't try to dig real deeply into the other two um, groups of people that I came across. So, um, uh, you know, I, I can't say with any authority uh, that there's no more history there. But from what I read, they all seem to be equally mysterious. They sort of pop up out of nowhere, um, and they've they've been in those areas for centuries, and then, you know, modern history, I guess, uh, uh, somehow uncovers them, and we're aware that they exist. Uh, the uh, the, the uh, Chachapoyas, I, I think, except in my book, <laughs> which is fictional, of course, um, have been absorbed 
into the rest of the the uh, the population in uh, in Peru and Ecuador. We have about a minute and, here. We have about a minute here before we have to go to break, and I want to get one more question in, and we'll continue the conversation on the other side of the break. But does the name Cloud Warriors or Chachapoya? Does that have a significance uh, related to the fact they lived in the Andes Mountains? Or could there be something more mysterious about the origin of that name? Um, well, I would never say never. Um, the, the, na- the name is uh, strictly, I mean, when you, when you translate it, uh, just sort of describes where they come from. Um, because they, they literally their civilization um, was was in the clouds uh, at the very top of the Andes Mountains. How they got there is really mysterious. I will say one thing: there is a picture that I have seen of I haven't, I haven't actually seen it, but there is a picture of a statue uh, made out of stone um, from that civilization and. I suppose it may be my imagination, but I think it looks an awful lot like like a Viking. And, uh, Rob, we were talking about the Cloud Warriors. We're talking about these, uh, the Chachapoya people, and the fact that they are anomalous in their genetic, well, at least their appearance. I don't know about their genetics. I can't speak about that. You know, there's been talk for a very, very long time about uh, a possible extraterrestrial presence with the Incas and in other parts of the world. Do you think, you've talked about the Vikings, but do you think there's any possibility that there could be some type of extraterrestrial explanation for uh, people as anomalous as these people were? I would never say never. Uh, There is, as you pointed out, particularly with respect to uh, Machu Picchu, uh, an ongoing theory that there was uh, extraterrestrial uh, intervention uh, and perhaps guidance that led to the the building of that rather remarkable uh, series of structures at the top of a mountain um, that almost is is incomprehensible uh, to explain how this could be done by human beings uh, at that juncture in history. Uh, so, uh, could there be? Absolutely. Um, how or why or, you know, how it came about, I wouldn't have any idea. But I certainly, uh, I've learned over many years that, that uh, I'm not smart enough uh, to determine what, uh, what the limits of possibility are. And so, I think it's, there is always the possibility that um, there is uh, another another level, another. Uh, it's, it's, uh, to me, it's like playing three dimensional chess. You know, there are there are other dimensions that we human beings, with our very limited ability uh, to uh, to understand and reason, um, uh, do not understand. And we, I think, to, to a great extent, we fill that void in our understanding uh, with uh, what we popularly call religion. Um, so that's a long story, a long answer to a short question. So, it ju- uh, but your but fe- your feeling is there's something else out there that could definitely have the, have its hands in in the creation of that. I I think the answer to that is yes. 
And also, and we're talking about Peru, of course, Peru, also the home of the Nazca Lines, which has a, a very mysterious origin, and many think that might be extraterrestrial in nature. Now, when you started writing about the Cloud Warriors of Peru, um, I'm sure you're not writing about an extraterrestrial story here. What's what's the story about? Well, the story is really um, uh, my, my uh, I guess, in, in a nutshell, it's my rant against the greed of the pharmaceutical industry. And I... I coach it in the terms of this fictional um, battle between a remnant of this Chachapoyas tribe that survives in the Amazon rainforest for 600 years until discovered by an anthropology professor. Um, It's the battle of survival by that tribe against a pharmaceutical company that is trying to exploit a peculiar substance, a substance that's peculiar to that particular tribe. So that's really the, the sort of the elevator speech about what the book is about. Um, but the the uh, I think the, the, the paranormal aspect of it is um, I had to figure out a way to make uh, a, a three people communicate or two people communicate. One of whom is in a state of astral suspension, and the other of whom is a hundred year old shaman uh, that lives in Peru in the rainforest and obviously doesn't speak anything close to English. Um, and the character that accomplished that is uh, a medium uh, named Carrie Waters in the book, who in reality is my sister-in-law, who is a, is a, uh, a medium. And it is uh, much of her life story that is the story of Carrie Waters in Cloud Warriors. When you talk about the pharmaceutical companies, I think many people have, uh, whether it's been an infomercial or real science or some kind of medical report, they talk about the mysterious compounds that can be found in the rainforest, maybe even in the jungles. Um, And there are many that may have medicinal qualities. Did you use anything um, that was fact-based or uh, that you can point to that might uh, fit that description? Uh, Yes. Um, Actually... I used a a substance that is relatively common knowledge to mystery writers around the world, um, and that is a a, a poison um, that it was an arrowhead poison um, common to to uh, the Central and South America um, in cent for centuries. It's called Carrari, and. Uh, Karari is odd in the sense that if you get it in your bloodstream, it'll kill you. But you can ingest it, and it doesn't hurt you. Uh, so you could use this arrowhead poison, kill an animal, and immediately eat it without any fear of of, uh, of injuring or killing yourself. Um, that's what made it odd. And the other thing that we learned the hard way uh, Western medicine did is they thought that because Ferrari renders all your voluntary muscles inert, it actually kills you through suffocation because your lungs won't work. But they thought it was Western medicine for about the turn of the 20th century thought this was a a uh, great uh, way to put people, you know, under while they were doing operations. Unfortunately, um, under the 
influence of Karari. If you're still alive, you can feel, hear, and see Ooh. everything that's going on. You just can't respond to it. Ouch. So, <laughs> yes, precisely. So surgery uh, was was undertaken uh, with using Karari as the anesthetic, um, only to learn after some period of time, hopefully not too long, that it wasn't an anesthetic. It was just a basically a, a substance that, that rendered a, a paralysis. Well, I would think I would think the first person would uh, come out and, and tell them. <laughs> I don't think that would take yeah, well, long at all. I don't think if the they, survived. Student, if survived they survived. survived. Yeah, exactly. Um, but I guess I, my my understanding, and this may be an urban myth, but my understanding is the way they they learned of this is that that one, a tear trickling down out of an eye of the person they were operating on suddenly made them realize that the surgeons realized that these people were were not under, you know. An anesthetic, they were still able to feel. That's just that's and, just horrible. Uh, that's it, actually, some derivative of of Ferrari is still used in medicine. Still used, uh, not in the same way as it used to, but still used in some surgical procedures. Ha, ha, so I go ahead. Oh, go ahead. So I was just going to say that. So the Ferrari, uh, every tribe has its own. It's it's a plant based poison, but every tribe has its own version of it. And so my particular tribe, uh, the Chilco in the book uh, Cloud Warriors, um, had uh, this peculiar, because they lived at the top of the Andes, um, thanks to the migration of an Arctic tern coming from uh, uh, Siberia, which is just, I mean, that's historically correct, um, a plant um, was through the, through the, the feces of that bird, the seeds of a plant were planted on the top of the Andes mountains during their annual migration. And this plant uh, was then incorporated in this particular tribe's uh, Karari. And it was this incorporation of this rather unique plant in their, in their formula that led to the ability of the person who tasted it limited to the shaman of the tribe uh, to extend their life expectancy by multiples of three, four, five times. That's the, that's the substance that the pharmaceutical company in Cloud Warriors is seeking to exploit. We are talking tonight with Rob Young, author and adventurer. Rob uh, is, has a book out called Cloud Warriors. That's what we've been focused on tonight. And Robin, I want to ask you about the Cloud Warrior experiences as you learned about these people and decided to write about them in your book. Um, how did it affect your view of the world, maybe the universe around us? I think the uh, answer to that would be related to trying to imagine what it would be like to be part of this tribal remnant that is suddenly discovered by the, you know, in the 21st century and, and the glare of, of, uh, all that goes with our modern day is suddenly focused on this, this group of people that have been living and hiding, hiding out, not hiding out in a sense that they were trying to avoid anything, but living in the, in the rainforest uh, secretly for six centuries. Um, I think that when you start to think about people like that and you start to think about their 
you know, the symbiosis they must have with their environment to survive. Um, and the, their own spiritual life um, that's depicted in the book, um, it, I think, gives you a broader sense of uh, how the world actually uh, operates on a natu- from a natural science, if you will, standpoint, and from a spiritual standpoint on all levels of, of human existence. Um, you know, certainly, we in the world today have all the history and accoutrements that go with uh, living in the 21st century. And when you need to go back and start to think what it would be like for a, uh, a very uh, secreted group of people uh, 600 years ago, uh, it, it just broadens your sense of, of the world in general, and I think it makes you more tolerant. Tolerance is something that we could use a little more of, I think. Uh, at this point. Amen to that. <laughs> um, Amen to that. What do you want, for someone to pick up the book uh, and, and read it, what do you hope they walk away with? I hope they, first of all, I hope they walk away saying, that was a good story. You know, I, I enjoyed reading it. It was entertaining. Uh, you know, it was worth the price of admission, so to speak. Um, I think that I I would like them to walk away with, with a little more, perhaps, tolerance of uh, the world around us. Uh, I think to also raise questions about choices that we make uh, and um, how those choices not only just impact us, but but have the ripple effect of impacting uh, you know society in general. So. The book has a the book has a lesson in it, uh, but it's it's not championed as uh, you know as the, the the common thread through the book. The book is basically a story uh, that uh, raises questions that sort of all come to a conclusion at the end, and hopefully the reader will face that and and uh, think about what they would do under the same circumstances. By the way, after uh, our next uh, break, we're going to take your phone calls to talk about the upcoming uh, debut of Ghost Nation on the Travel Channel October 11th. Of course, starring Jason Hawes, Steve Gonzalez, uh, Dave Tango, and uh, you guys travel all over uh, ha- Hell's Half Acre, I guess, right? Well, You've been we go everywhere. Yeah. everywhere. So, and, uh, so that show will be uh, debuting on Travel Channel October 11th, and we'll take your phone calls at, at uh, 844-687-687. Seven six six nine. After the next, or you can start calling now. Uh, line up the questions. Rob Young is our guest tonight, and Rob, we've been talking about the books, particularly Cloud Warriors that you've already written, published, uh, and uh, distributed here. Um, but you've got a project underway, or at least it's about to be underway. That sounds pretty interesting, re- involving, uh, if I read this correctly, Ireland and witch burning. <laughs> yeah, that sounds pretty uh, yeah, fascinating. The working, t- the working title of that is First Witch. Uh, and it's a story I, I found on a trip to Ireland about uh, two and a half years ago. And I've been slowly piecing together the, the story arc for it. But uh, it it uh, evolves out of 
uh, a woman named Alice Keitler who lived in Kilkenny, who I won't go into detail because of time, but uh, she uh, would have been burned at the stake as the first witch ever, you know, the first witch burned at the stake in Ireland uh, had she not escaped uh, to England and disappeared. Uh, but the story is about a bag of gold that appears to have a curse on it and Irish gypsies and Charlie Chaplin and a, a uh, current uh, legal battle in the, uh, the, the courts of England over the ownership of this uh, bag of gold that seems oddly to curse everyone that comes in contact with it. Bag of gold coins from so will this be a, will this be a novel based on the this uh, what we would consider to be uh, legend or true story? It is a true story. Um, it's uh, that's how all my books come about. They are they're all based on some historical incident. Right with with uh, Cloud Warriors, it was the 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 odd people that, that didn't seem to belong where you know they were from a physical characteristic standpoint. Um, this one is about a woman who uh, who poisoned four husbands allegedly, and thus was thought to be a witch. And uh, the church uh, wanted to burn her, and um, that's the that's the the historical part of it. Uh, there's a great pub in uh, Kilkenny called Keitler's Inn. I highly recommend anybody who's interested in in uh, witches and ghosts to go there. Um, uh, oh, uh, and, and Jason, I've got a question for you and your new uh, uh, program, Ghost Nation. Do you end up down in in uh, San Antonio at uh, the Menger Hotel, just outside of the Alamo? No, no, not yet. Not on this first season. Honestly, it's more about trying to get back to residential cases and helping out families that, that need help. Uh, because we did Ghost Hunters okay. for 12 years, and it was like sci-fi. Even though we'd investigate residential homes, sci-fi had a tendency to only show the big locations, and that just got old. So we wanted to make yeah. sure we got back to the roots of, of why we initially started doing what we do and uh, just started trying to help families. Well, uh, congratulations. Welcome back. I'll add my welcome back to everybody else's. Well, thank and, you very uh, much. Good luck. With I Ghost appreciate Nation. it. Rob, uh, thanks for being here. Again, the books that are out now, Cloud Warriors, The Reaper, where can people get a hold of them? Um, well, you can buy them. You can, if, if they're not at your local bookstore, you can certainly order them. Uh, you can get them on Amazon. You can go to my website and order them direct from me, although, uh, you know, I would, I discourage that because I like to support bookstores. Um, so, um, Check your local bookstore, ask for uh, Cloud Warriors uh, or uh, The Reaper by Rob Young, and if they don't have it, uh, they can certainly order it. Um, and if you are so inclined to buy online, then you can get them on Amazon. Well, Rob, thanks so much for coming and hanging out with us. It's been a pleasure, and uh, we look forward to talking to you again at some point. Well, thank you, and thank you for having me on. I, I enjoyed it greatly. As we said before we went to the break, and what we've been talking about all night, is that uh, Jason's returned to the show here. He's been off filming. You were gone for, oh, jeez, five months? Five months, yeah. Five, five months. months. Filming um, a new television show. First season. First season of a new show that is going to debut in October on the Travel Channel. It's called Ghost 
nation. First question is, where'd the title come from? Well, honestly, it's because when we when I was talking to uh, Discovery and Travel Channel about doing a show, one of the main factors I wanted to express was that there's so many more people out there involved in the paranormal than just taps. And I wanted to get that out there. It, there's a nation of investigators and, and researchers and believers and, and people, whether they're skeptics or not, um, whether they're investigators or not, there's all these people. And it's just, and that was one of the things, there's a nation of them out there. And we wanted to make sure that that, that was known that it's not because you see the show and it, it always seems like it's just about either an investigator or their team. And there's so much more than that. So that's where ghost nation was, was born. And also it's really the next step from, from ghost hunters. Let, and we did ghost hunters. So let's, um, let's jump to our phone lines. By the way, the number, if you have a question, you want to chat about this at all is eight four four six eight seven seven six six nine. This is Darren in Indiana. Hey, Darren, welcome to the program. Hey, how's it going, guys? Great. I, uh, Welcome to the show. Just, uh, thanks. The first time calling in. Uh, been a fan of Jay's for years. Watched the show and uh, really excited about the new show. Can't wait. Oh, okay. um, um, so yeah, my, my, I had I could talk all night about all kind of stuff because I've been a fan of of the show and been a, and just been a fan of all this kind of stuff my entire life. Um, on top of making horror films, so people kind of you know lump that together, but. Um, no, the question I have for Jay is, uh, uh, shadow people. Um, and, you know, my brother had an experience back in 2001. Um, Southern Indiana is a weird place. Let's just put it that way. Um, there's a lot of stuff that happens, uh, down here. Um, but, uh, my brother's kids, uh, some properties at my great, my great grandparents' property originally. It's been in my family for years, probably a hundred years. And it was just in the, in, in the daylight uh, out in the field, and he had his kids for the weekend. He's a divorced parent, and at the time they were really little. And later that day, they were at the pond out on the property, and it was middle of the afternoon, or you know, and, the, and two of the kids had went to the woods, and, and, and he was one of the kids at the pond. And so later that night, they said, Dad, when you were at the pond before you met us back towards the woods, we saw something. And... Uh, you know, he says, well, you know, what you see? He said, well, we saw a black man. We saw a black man. That's what the kids said. We saw a black man. And so well, my brother's telling me this back, he told me about a year after it happened. He told me in 2002, um, I thought there was somebody on the property or I was thinking Sasquatch or, you know, just, I, I mean, I was just thinking, well, okay, what, what was it? You know, so, so my brother's asking them and they were drawing pictures of what they saw. And so my brother started doing some 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 looking around, and, and it was basically what they were talking about is what people had described as shadow people. And, you know, I brought that up to him probably more recently, and, and he said, you know, the kids were there. Something was sort of breaking the light coming through the trees as they were walking on a tr down a tree line. And then this thing came out of the trees uh, and sort of ran in front of them. And, and it was like a, they described it as a shadow, but, but walking upright, not on the ground. And, uh, you know, so it, it ran in front of them and, and they sort of froze. And one of the kids told the other one, don't look at it, but they, they couldn't help but look at it. Yeah, of course. And, uh, it sort of turned. And so it, so it was like consciousness to it because it sort of turned and sort of looked almost like it turned and looked back at them. And then it just ran and just sort of faded off into nothing. Um, and you know, he's told that story. My brother is very skeptical of it. I'm totally by it. 
Um, but, you know, it was the middle of an open field in the daytime. This wasn't in some dark room or some dark building. This was in the middle of an open, wide open field out in the country. And uh, he, as the kids got older, you know, he would say, you know, you know they wouldn't go up there. I mean, they're, these kids are growing up now. They're all in their 20s now. But they would refuse to go up there. Uh, so, you know, it, I mean, that is um, one of many things that have happened to, you know, people I know or, or people I, I really find to be credible. Um, but that, that story, you know, still gives me it's chills. Cool, because yeah. I, I can't. I can picture that because hey, you, I, I spent uh, a lot of time up there. Darren, you know, are, you, are, Darren, are you an investigator at all? No, not really. I just always had a fascination with um, all kind of stuff, and and you know, like I said, Southern Indiana for whatever reason is just you know we we you know there's a lot of UFO stuff. Um, I had a friend. Yeah. I won't get into this now. I don't have time. But in in, in 1988, well, just real, mutilation. Just, well, just real quick, and not to cut you off, was the question about the shadow people? Yeah, I mean, what, okay. what, what's your what's your what's your take on that? Right. Okay, I mean, yeah, I, as, I just I, I want to make sure I can get that answer out because we got other uh, others. But um, uh, the main my main thing with shadow people, there's people. Some people believe that shadow entities are these negative entities. I don't I don't fall under that belief. My belief is, and what I've seen, there seems to be two different types of shadow type entities. There's, for whatever reason, entities that are just shadows, but there's also intelligent type entities like you and I after we pass, and for whatever reason, we can't fully manifest ourselves, and we come across as a shadow type entity, and there's nothing negative to it, there's nothing malicious to it, it's just not being able to fully man- manifest ourselves, and and a lot of times that's what people see, so I just wanted to make sure I got that out for you. Um yeah, so honestly, I, I'm a firm believer in shadow type entities. I just don't feel that they fall under, you know, malicious or, or negative type entities. But thanks a lot for the call. Yeah, Darren, thank you so much for listening and thank you for the phone call. Um, we've got a question from uh, one of our chat room members. Uh, Scooter wants to know how long the first nation, uh, the first season of Ghost Nation is. It is 10 episodes we've done. And uh, so they start airing again October 11th. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's 10 episodes, 10 incredible cases, some phenomenal evidence we caught, and we're really excited. I mean, this, I think it's going to be great. It really is. Um, I'm kind of torn here between the chat questions and the phone calls, but the chat questions came first. I'm going to see how many of these we can get okay. in. Uh, Chrissy wants to know what's different about this show as compared to Ghost Hunters. Well, Ghost Hunters was more about the TAPS team, and we were out there investigating. And like I said, we no matter where we investigated, it, it always seemed like they only wanted to show these big locations. Because I had final say on where we investigated, but they had final say on what aired. This is more about just getting back to the roots, going into these residential homes and helping out these families who are scared or, or their children who are scared, and they're looking for answers. And the nice thing is we're really able to dive deep into the historical uh, information on the properties as well. So you're able to see a full-fledged investigation and how it goes. And we're at these properties for a week straight. We take over the house. Um, we go out, we do the historical research, see if any of the stories that they've heard have any truth behind them or any of the history of the property that they that they know of has any truth behind it and really come to uh, some serious answers all right uh, i'm going to ask this one before we take another call here because um, this is kind of this is something that's been popping up all over the place and it's got a lot of people in a bit of a stir here but the basics of this question jay and i know the answer um are you and grant still friends 
I'm going to punch him in the face if I say <laughs> no. Uh, on, honestly, um, yeah, Grant and I chose to go different ways. Um, I wish him the best. Uh, you know, we had the opportunity to go back and to to actually do Ghost Hunters. I didn't want to. I didn't want to do Ghost Hunters with a new team, and that was that was a big factor um, when I chose not to, and so I left. And then they, I guess, after that, they went to Grant, and Grant was okay with doing it with with a new team. Do, do I agree with that? No, but you know, Grant's going to make his own decisions. He's a big boy, and uh, go from there. Is in Ghost Nation is the TAPS organization the investigative organization, or do you? Well, I still run TAPS, but this is more. Uh, it's about actually we're using a UPRO, United Paranormal Research Organization, which is more of just a network of teams from all around that that are working together. Um, so TAPS still is there. I own TAPS. The TAPS website's still there. Still the top visited paranormal website in the world. But we wanted to also incorporate a, a whole new creation when it came to the show. Um, we might be having a tr- little bit of trouble with the phone lines here. I'm not sure what's going on. But um, another chat question is um, your thoughts, and I'm not sure how, how this relates to the new show, but your thoughts on Ghost Adventures. That show's been around a long time. Yeah. I, Zach, I, actually, I spoke with Zach when I was coming over to the Travel Channel because I wanted to make sure I wasn't going to you know, create any hard feelings or step on anybody's toes. I have a lot of respect for Zach and, and his crew. We do things very differently, but I think that's what helps push the field forward is that we're very different in our approaches. And, but you know, we have the utmost respect for each other. I think ghost adventures, I think those guys seem like great guys. I've never actually hung out with them. Steve has, um, hopefully someday I'll, I'll get the chance, but I have the utmost respect for them and what they've been able to accomplish. And to be honest with you, they've, they've done phenomenal things at travel channel. Another uh, question from our chat room is will there be any other celebrities that will be guests i know you meatloaf and some others were on ghost hunters anybody well, else coming up actually meatloaf has been texting me wanting to come on <laughs> and do the show as well as some others um meatloaf took a bad fall he ended up yeah. breaking his collarbone and yeah. stuff um but he sent me a text just about two weeks ago saying he'll be ready for second season all right cool <laughs> all right, let's grab let's even grab one more right. uh, uh phone call question here this is carl in missouri hey carl welcome to the show hi uh What's up with 3 a.m. being being the best time to look for ghosts? Honestly, that's not. That's just somebody making that up, and it's the whole mockery of you know there was claims that Jesus died on the cross at three you know, three thirty three or whatever, and it was supposed to be the total opposite of it. And a lot of people have brought that up and tried to make it seem like it's it's something you know because a horror movie showing people waking up at three three a.m. and there's really nothing to that. I mean, paranormal activity happens all the time through the day through the night so uh, you can set up cameras at any point and try and try to catch it so but great question yeah thanks for the question carl we appreciate you listening in missouri all right that's gonna run, we're run out of time here that's yes. a, that you know welcome back jay it's great Thank to you have you here much. again it's, you know? it's been, a bl- been a blast it doesn't and feel so lonely here anymore no, it doesn't and uh, a big thank you to our guest rob young make sure you check out his book uh, check out the Beyond Reality Radio site and also head over to Facebook.com slash Beyond Reality Radio. That's going to do it for us. You're listening to Jason and JV, Beyond Reality Radio. Catch you all tomorrow. Beyond Reality Radio is hosted by Jason Hawes and JV Johnson and produced by Alexandria Johnson and Slick Eddie Edwards for Intercom Radio. Beyond Reality Radio is distributed by Westwood One Radio Networks. 
stop by our Facebook page and say hello. Follow the hosts on Facebook as well. For Jason Hawes, follow at JasonHawes.taps. For JV Johnson, follow at JVJParanormal. If you'd like to be a guest on Beyond Reality Radio or you have a suggestion for a guest, contact Slick Eddie Edwards at SlickEddieEdwards at gmail.com. Be sure to visit our chat room as well at BeyondRealityRadio.com. Thanks for listening.